Good afternoon. And you might want to come in closer because you've got to make room for everybody in this seat. <laughs> They're all pressing. Yeah, right? Was that, some people just told me that, you know, some of them that you've got to make room. Every time you move, there's a cherry brush. If you remember cherry brushes, there was a friend of mine who I said, everybody got to move forward, make room, make room. So that way, people like uh, uh, Mike Hilton would know that your class is full, so they invite you back next year. <laughs> Uh, well, we could spread out and make it look bigger and fatter. <laughs> spread out. <laughs> I'll try to talk louder, but uh, this is going to be more, um, more of an engagement kind of class. So originally when they asked me to speak at Pepper Nine, uh, it was, they, they asked me like months in advance. So I was asked back in September, and I went to one of my elders, and who's a good friend of mine, and I said, what, what do you think I should talk about? I said, what's their theme? I said, well, they're talking about a broken Hallelujah. He said, well, you just did a really great Sunday school class on Psalms 22, and that is the opinion of broken hallelujah. And he said, why don't you just do that? I said, oh, that'd be great, because they'll probably give me a small classroom somewhere, and uh, that'll look really good for that kind of context. So that's kind of what I plan, which is going to work out great with this small group. Uh, so I, I hope that you guys uh, find some insight here that I found as we kind of went through this in our Sunday school class. So... Let me start, uh, start off, kind of just a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Robert Brock, and if you read the bio, I, I didn't start in ministry. I started in construction. I worked in construction for 16 years, and when the bubble burst, uh, Southern California burst in Arizona, that's where I lived, and I looked at my wife and said, we've got to change jobs, or we've got to change locations. And uh, she said, let's do both. So I started looking for jobs in ministry. I was working as a deacon in the local church that we helped start in the Yuma area as an outreach program. And uh, I was working as a deacon, so I went to them first. And they really didn't have a spot for me. And so I said, okay, no problem. And uh, with good blessing, to some extent, I started looking elsewhere. And found a church in Colorado that said, hey, we're looking for somebody to work with Gen X Y. At the time, that was real popular. This is about a decade ago. And I said, well, this is what I've been doing. I said, I don't know. I'm not schooled. I don't know anything about it. This is what I was doing. And I said, well, we like that. We'll hire you. Come on up here and work with us. And I worked for them for about six months. And then they said, hey, let's, um, let's get you some more education. We think you're really good. We think you're really what we want here in Aurora, Colorado. Let's get you some more education. So they worked with me going to ACU, and I got my master's degree, and uh, worked through that. About the time I was about to finish that up, my mentor, who was a preacher there for 30 years, decided it was time to retire. And he retired in Midland, Texas, and I became the lead minister. Kind of transitioned that way to the church. And now I have an associate that works with me. And uh, we keep working with that small congregation in southeast Aurora. Well, it's in Aurora. We call it southeast, but we're in the middle of Aurora. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. Uh, today we're going to talk about Psalms 22, and I'm sorry that the title got kind of messed up. It, it, I really should have called it from suffering to praise, and not really from pessimism to optimism. That was kind of the way I was looking at it and dealing with it at the time, and I'll share some of my personal insights that have kind of changed since I actually taught this in my church uh, back in, in September, August, actually taught it in August. What do you feel, or what do you do? In your life when you're overwhelmed? 
when you're overwhelmed with what's going on and the circumstances seem like they're losing control, what is it that you do to, to deal with that in your life? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. I like that one. What else? Anybody? Take a bath. Take a bath. Take a bath. Take a bath. Relax. Anybody else? Ask for wisdom and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Amen to that one, too. Um, I had a doctor who works in this. She said, ask for wisdom and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you and talk through you. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a doctor tell me she came in for a physical and they did the blood screening and everything, and she said, you're in remarkably good shape for as heavy as you are. And I said, well, thank you. And she said, uh, but you like candy bars and sodas when you're stressed. And I was like, what kind of voodoo is this? <laughs> you call me out like that. And she said, look at the computer screen. And I know she, she gave me triglycerides. She goes, they're not high for somebody who's not a diabetic. But she goes, you're probably to be a diabetic because you turn to candy bars and sodas you might need to find an alternative to dealing with that. And so I started trying to do a lot of contemplation and different things in my life to try to find ways to deal with those circumstances and deal with those stresses in life. Um, back in November, I attended a workshop where I learned about the Enneagram. And I unfortunately know this teaching up here this year. Uh, really good, interesting insight into your own life. I found out that I had a number that described my personality, and more importantly, it described what sin I was caved to. And that sin that I was caved to was a sin of gluttony. And gluttony doesn't always mean eating, it, it means overindulgence of all sorts of things. And so I would overindulge in things, and that's one of the ways I would cope. That was my coping mechanism for dealing with things. Uh, I wish it would be an overindulgence of prayer, fasting, and focus on the Lord. But that was the other thing that the Enneagram helped me understand was there's spiritual formations in our lives that come really easy. For me, journaling comes really easy. I'm always walking around with a journal in my hand. It comes really easy. What comes really hard is moments of silence. Being still and sitting without a radio on, without anything going on. In fact, I, this is a spiritual formation I've been working on since then uh, to help me in understanding who I am. And I was telling my wife the other day, I'm driving down the highway after losing one of my friends, and it's a 30-minute drive from my house from where we were meeting. And uh, I turned off the radio, and I just drove in silence. About 20 minutes in, it was like I had Tourette syndrome. I just started just yelling. <laughs> Because I couldn't handle the silence anymore. But I needed 20 minutes, which was remarkable, because prior to that, it only had been 10 or 15 minutes and it had been stretched. But there's, there's things that we all revert back to when we're feeling overwhelmed in life. Uh, anybody want to share a time where they felt overwhelmed in their life? Where, and I'm talking, these aren't the moments where I, I've got, you know, prepare a meal and I'm running late for something. This is the moments where I'm dealing with death in Serious moments where we get overwhelmed in life. Anybody felt that before? I thought when I was about you know, 22, 23 years old, I thought I had a low of all lows. Our second son, sitting out there in 
son of Mary was about to be born, and uh, he came among the And I didn't think much of it because our midwife went to church with us, and she was super cool. She was like, hey, it's no big deal. We're going to pray about this, and it's going to be fine. Yeah. My preacher was my brother-in-law, and his wife, Maggie, was is my wife's uh, sister. They showed up to the church. They prayed with us. This is going to be good. We're relaxed. This is my second kid. I got this. I know my job as a dad. Ice chips, dab the forehead, breathe, baby, breathe. I'm a champ. I am like the best at this. Of course, my job is easy. But he came along, and he was born, and we're doing the Abgar scores, and I'm over there watching him do their Abgar scores on him. And they hand him the mama and the They got food. Everything's good. In the corner of the room is an entire team of doctors watching. And all of a sudden, they come over and they go, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to take them right now. And they took them, and I noticed they were turning blue. And they took them off to the NICU, and they said, Dad, you can come with us. I took off. And I go to the NICU, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching, and I'm watching, and I'm watching. And they, everything calms down. They say, you're stabilized, everything's good. And I thought, great. <clears throat> I'm going to go back to my mom now. I thought I was gone for 15 minutes. I was gone for four hours. Uh, a couple days later, well, about 24 hours later, Sandra was released from the hospital, but Barry had to stay. He had to stay in the NICU for five days to make sure everything continued to work the way it was supposed to. In the meantime, we moved into the city. He lived outside of town. We moved into the city to live with my parents for a few days while that was going on, and we got robbed while we were stole all of our personal information, laptop, uh, credit cards, bank accounts, everything. Uh, and I thought, man, this is low. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. In Psalms 22, David utters words that will literally be uttered even more deeply by Jesus on the cross. He yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know what David was dealing with. Maybe he was feeling remorse for what he did with Bathsheba. Maybe he's feeling remorse because their son had died. Maybe he's feeling remorse because Jonathan's dead. I'm not sure what he was doing when he wrote these words. But David is at a dark place in his life when he writes Psalms 22. He feels his present circumstances contradict the promises of God, that God would never leave him, that God would never abandon him, never forsake him. He feels lost and overwhelmed and oppressed by the circumstances of his life. Let's read uh, Psalms 22. We're going to read the first couple of verses. Psalms 22. Starting in verse 11, or not starting, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, trust me. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. 
in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. Trouble is near, and there is none to help. David's current situation feels like a contradiction of the promise of what God had promised him. David allows these circumstances that are happening around him to just get him down, weigh him down, and bring him down into suffering and lifestyle is just kind of depression. Have you ever been in a situation where life circumstances just continually hit you one right after another and you begin to feel like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Whoa, what else can go wrong? <laughs> to David, God felt so far away from him, so far away from what was going on in his life and the troubles that he was facing, he feels distant. People taunt him and ridicule him for what's going on and tell him, you, you rely on your God. Your God can save you. He feels lonely. He replies, he relies on the Lord and asks for the rescue for God to come and rescue him from the circumstances that he's in. Continue in verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bastion surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint in my heart. They are like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. If you count all of my bones, they stare and they gloat at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. ever been so stressed in your life that it made you feel physically sick? Yeah. So we're just saying how much control our minds can have over our bodies. I thought when everything kind of calmed down with Barry, I thought, wow, that was quite the valley. They've got to carry this thing. Little did I know about three years later I was going to start the entrance into another valley. About two, two and a half years later, we were on vacation. And we had started the process, my wife and I, of having a third child. We wanted a little girl. We had two boys. We wanted a little girl. And we started that process. 
nothing had happened yet, but it was so early and we'd only been trying for about two months. And uh, we were on vacation and something happened. And my wife came to me and she said, I think I was pregnant. And I think I just miscarried. Being a young dad and not knowing what to do and knowing that we were on vacation, I said, that's not good. I'll tell you what, I'll take the boys and you can have time yourself. And I took the boys for the day and we came back that night and ate dinner and we did the same thing for the next two days. I thought I was doing the right thing, giving her time to mourn. And then we never talked about it. We never really talked about it as a couple. We never talked to the kids about it. And life went on. And I thought, disaster averted. A couple years later, my wife got pregnant with our third child, Daisy, the little girl that we asked for. And life went on. I remember all of this like it was yesterday, because in January, there's a young couple in our church who were pregnant with their second child. About 20 weeks along, close to the first anniversary, Call me up on Friday, and you know, we're not going to be at church on Sunday. And I said, Why not? He said, We're going to be in the hospital. The baby died, and she has to deliver. And I thought, That's awful. That's awful. I showed up Sunday morning going through the motions, doing what I was supposed to do as a good preacher. I sat down with my elders, and I said, Hey, look, this is what's going on. Stepped up there in the pulpit. And I 
started to explain what had happened to his family, and I broke down in tears. I don't even remember what I preached that Sunday. I don't remember at all. It was mostly a confession of my own sin in my life where I tried to ignore the fact that I was supposed to be in a battle. And I was supposed to find those five smooth stones and get myself out of that valley and bring my family with me and, and find a deeper obedience to who God is. But all I can remember as I went through that sermon was I have somehow messed this up. I have somehow misunderstood what I was supposed to learn. And I remember standing there in front of the congregation. It's very, very Often in our lives, worry about our prayers, whether or not they're eloquent, whether or not they're perfect, whether or not they're what God wants to hear. As a father of three, I can tell you, I know what I want to hear from my children. Anything. Anything at all. I'm sure that's the way God is too. He looks for just words and relationship with each one of us, where he can engage us, where we're at, what we're dealing with. He doesn't want us to sit in that valley by ourselves. He wants to be the shepherd to show us how to get out of that valley and, and let us come to him and trust in him. Not in things, not in systems, not in ideas. Sometimes we get really caught up in, we got this, because we got to be professional. We got to get through this because we're on vacation or we're trying to do this, we're trying to do that. And we got to move. We got to move at a certain pace, and God doesn't necessarily move at that pace. So, God, I got this one. You get the next one. You get caught up in this idea that we're really in control, and really, we're not. We worry about our prayers, that they'll be what God wants to hear, and all too often what we're offering them. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us. Watch over us, keep us safe, amen. We move on. Because we're in a hurry. When David's writing this song, God knows David. He knows what David did, what David was going through. He knows the pain. He feels the pain. And he's there to help. Only when we admit in our lives that we are weak and that we are poor and that we are broken do we actually get to a point in our lives where we can start to help others. Psalm 22 plays out like this. Starting in verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You may help Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, 
for he is not despised or bored the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard, and he cried to him. From you comes my praise in great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who him, for those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn. For he has done it. David cries out, You have rescued me. You have rescued me. He sings praise to all the congregation for what God has done for him. Because he understands that he's come through this broken place as a broken person. When David laid out his circumstances in verse 1 through 18, he wrote in the present tense, there were these pressures and these trials leaning on him, pushing him down, making him feel insecure, making him question pushing him further away from his relationship with God. It's almost as if he didn't have time for God. David had not been physically delivered from his enemies, his ailments, and he begins to say, you have rescued me. David says, you have rescued me, Lord, because he turns his attention away from the world and back to God or God's kingdom. It was at that point when I sat down on the pulpit that day that I realized that I was broken. I always knew I was a sinner. I always knew I was in sin and I had sin in my life. I get that. But I always thought I'd never really experienced anything that tragic. I came down off that pulpit. My wife wasn't at church because she was struggling to handle it herself. She'd gone home. And I realized at that point I had very little to offer the family that was going through that situation, even though I had a shared experience. I had very little to offer them in the way of comfort because I hadn't dealt with my that point, I went home, and I got my wife, and I got my kids, and we gathered up on the living room floor, and I told them what had happened. I went to church that Sunday, but what had happened on that occasion so many years ago, and we shared with each other that we had another child, and that they had another brother or sister. Don't know which one. But that someday there will be a reunion in heaven where we will get to know. 
know that child for the first time in our lives. And it'll be a great day because God can keep his promises. In verses 20 through 21, David prays that God will deliver him from these creatures that he previously feared, from the lions and from the dogs. It's important. It's important that we express our fears and that we name our fears in our lives that God knows. God already knows what they are, but when we name those things in our lives, just like when we name our sin to God, it frees us. It frees us from the pain that ties us to those things. David spends the remainder of the psalm worshiping God. Worshiping God in the midst of being incredibly This year's theme at Pepperdine is a broken hallelujah. I can't help but think that Psalms 22 is a broken hallelujah. I can't help but think that the writer of that song, when they wrote that song, was thinking possibly of Psalms 22. Psalms 23 is the most well-known song that David writes, and it's a great song. We teach it as a memory verse to all of our children. But the second most popular psalm, the second most well-known psalm, is Psalm 22. Because it, it's Psalm 22 that Jesus begins to quote on the cross. When you look at John's account of the crucifixion, it is Psalm 22 that is being played out. Jesus on the cross feels the broken. He feels the pain and he feels the distance of God as he takes on all of our sin. But he's sitting back to God in praise. Still loving God, still focused on God, knowing that nothing was going to stop what he was going through except that God had made him. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shielding your, your blood, shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation of the which I stopped there for a second? This point. Jesus gives up his life in order for us to be saved. As Christians, we understand that. And we have a relationship with Jesus built on that. 
But it's at times when we walk through that valley, when we sing that broken hallelujah, that we begin to understand that. And we can come back from that with a message that we can share with others. So the epilogue to my personal story is that after a week of dealing with a lot of emotional things in our own family, healing, I came back to church on Sunday. And a young couple didn't come. She came by herself. And in my class, I don't remember what we were talking about. I'd asked a question, and people were sharing. It came to her, and that's when the class stopped, because she wanted to share. And she shared with that entire class about a rose bush that grows out in front of her house. And she says, every year, I think that rose bush is dead. And every winter, everybody used to send a rose. But every spring, it had a new rose on it. And I know it's part of God's promise that it'll always bloom roses. Powerful sermon. Last Sunday, that couple announced that they are pregnant again and trying to have another child. And we prayed over them. Because it's not about the suffering that you do in the valley. It's about walking out of that valley with a trust in God and who He is. So for today, you might be suffering in something. And if you are, you've got to share that. You've got to share it with somebody so that you can name the suffering that you're going through. So that you can move on. That you can walk out of that valley. But perhaps you're not suffering. Perhaps you know of somebody who is suffering. Almost all of us know somebody in our life who's suffering. They've lost someone who they love. They've lost a job. Something drastic has happened to them. Ask yourself, how might you come alongside them? Help them move away from the distractions of the world. Close out the noise and sit in silence for a few minutes and talk to their Father in heaven who is dying to hear from them. How might you help them find some peace just by helping them collect the five stones? I like Christmas sermon on your night. You didn't hear it. Time to collect five stones like David in the valley. How might you help them find those five stones, those stones of courage. They can move on in their life with a little bit of peace and a little bit of understanding who God is. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing. We thank you for the valleys as well. It's through the valleys that we really get to come in contact with you. It's through the valleys that we learn to when our hearts cry out with that broken hallelujah that we begin to understand you. Lord, we thank you for a lot of things in our lives, but most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ who gives us that pathway to a relationship with you. And without relationship, where are we? Lord, we're so grateful for what you give us in your arms that we can be your 
We ask that you bring your blessing on each and every one here that's listening to this. That they too can deepen that relationship with you. That they too can move through times that are tough. Times of grief. Times of struggle. That they can rely on you and prayer Questions, or you want to discuss something or talk about something on it?